morning, everyone. My name is David Hancock. Oh, I'm sorry. No, my name is not David Hancock. Uh, my name is Bronson. That's about all we need to know about that. Uh, this morning, I'm going to be opening up God's Word. We're going to be in John 11. Um, and as we do, uh, you're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. Um, but I'm going to be paraphrasing most of it uh, just for the sake of time together. Um, we're in a series called Beholding the Light, uh, and the goal is really simple. I'm going to get this out of the way because I will karate chop it if I don't. Um, we're in a series called Beholding the Light, and it's very straightforward. We want you to just take a couple weeks with us and just look at Jesus, and as we look at him, uh, we're going to be changed by him. One of the specific things we want to look for is not just who he is uh, in when things are good, but who he is towards people who are in darkness. Last week, we looked at the darkness of being good, and this week, we're going to look at the darkness of suffering, of sorrow, and of grief. Um, so, with that being said, it's going to be a little bit of a hard walk that we're going to go on. We are going to go on a walk with Jesus, and it's going to start with confusion, and it's going to pass through some, some darkness, and then pass through that out into the other side. And so, I just want to encourage you to come with me. If you're not here this morning, um, or if you're listening to this after the fact, I just want to encourage you to read along in John 11. Um, maybe stop it if you're watching this later. Read John 11 and then come back. Um, let's start with a little backdrop. Okay, so Jesus is taking a walk. There's a messenger that arrives to him. It's in, again, John 11. The message is really simple. Uh, Jesus, the one that you love, is sick. So it's coming from two women, one named Mary, one named Martha, and their brother, Lazarus, is the one that Jesus loves who's sick. Instead of immediately going on a journey, what Jesus responds to that message is very, very interesting. He says, this sickness will not end in death, but instead it will be glorifying to the Son of Man or to him. He then does something very strange. He stays put for two whole days. Lazarus dies, and then he gets up and goes on this journey. So before we start, I want to highlight three things that I want you to watch out for while we're going through this morning. First, Jesus really did love this family. So when he says, the one that you love is sick, they weren't pretending. That was real. This story shows us what it looks like to be loved by Jesus. So look for that. Second, in this story, Jesus does the same answer again and again. Why did this happen? Why is this suffering going on in Lazarus' life? And the answer he gives is that it is for his glory. And if you don't know what that means, that's okay that's the point of the story, figuring out what that looks like. What does it mean that sickness or suffering or sorrow would be turned for his glory? Third, this idea of believing is expressed again and again and again in the book of John. And I want to give you just a simple definition for the sake of today. Believing is holding on to Jesus. It's not just a mental assent or an agreement with what is said, but a, a clinging to, a clutching, a, as John 1 puts it, a receiving of him. So, Look for those three things. This story is going to show us more of what it looks like to be loved by Jesus, for him to use suffering and sorrow for his glory in our lives, and what it means to believe or to hold to Jesus. So, Jesus shows up. I don't know if you guys have ever been late to something, but he is not late. He is absent. Uh, he arrives in the outskirts of the village. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Um, and when they hear about Jesus arriving, Martha immediately gets up and goes out to meet him on the road. Uh, but Mary does not. And John goes out of his way to point that out. 
When Martha reaches Jesus, she says something that's very important. I'm going to actually read what she says. She says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And so Jesus responds to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. So again, this is so far nothing really surprising. Like if, you know, he's going to rise again. I know one day everything's going to be made right. And he's like, no, hold on. And he kind of stops the narrative. It's a little bit like a, like a record, like, you know, and it, it goes, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She responds basically, yes, I do believe this. I believe you're the son of God who's come into the world. At this point, Mary then goes back to her sister. And um, when she does, it's really important for you to know exactly what she says in, in that moment. She goes back to, Mar uh, to Mary, who's in her wherever, away from Jesus and says simply, the teacher is calling for you or the teacher is asking for you. And an emotionally charged contrast to Martha, Mary gets up and basically rushes out of the home and goes to where Jesus is. Apparently, it's so emotionally volatile that the people around were like, oh, something's going on. And they got up and followed her. And when she arrives at Jesus, again, in an emotionally contrasted way that John is, is putting in front of us on purpose, she falls at his feet and only says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then weeps. No confession of faith, no great, you know, Christian-y mumbo-jumbo. It's just, if you were not, if, why weren't you here? And then she breaks. Jesus' response to her is he weeps. He goes with her to the tomb where her brother is lying, and she grieves. Apparently, he grieves so much that the people that were around him in that moment said, look how much he loved them. So what I want to do this morning is look at a couple things that this story tells us about suffering and then just show you Jesus. And if you just see him for who he is in this story, you will go to him with your suffering and sorrow. Because he is, well, I'll get to it in a minute. So Martha's suffering, right? And from this story, there's something that's pretty obvious we can see. The first thing that we need to know about suffering for many of us is that when we suffer, it usually pushes us towards God. You can see that, right? Martha, she's suffering, she gets up, she ends up with Jesus. That's like not super profound there's something a little bit more important that I want to show you. See, what she's doing is going to God. But if you notice, she's going to God with good questions and very poor eyesight. She's asking him things, and it's really hard for her to see what he's doing. And this is what suffering can do to you. It can darken our vision of who Christ is. Now, you might be like, hey, there's no questions in this text. There is, right? If you had been here, my brother would not have died implies a question so where were you? Like, it's four days, dude. Where were you? And I think it's important for us to realize that she is asking a very real question implied in her statement. And you will ask questions like that, good questions, hard questions of God, when you suffer. 
And so because that's going to happen, I need to point out not what you should do. You'll do that on your own if you're suffering. Like, you're just going to go to God with questions. What I need to point out is that she has poor vision. And what she needs is more than an answer, clear sight. She needs a, a pulling away of the darkness of her suffering to see who Jesus is more clearly. And if she can see who he is more clearly, it will help her actually see her questions better and the answers that he provides. Which, by the way, he never does in the story. It's kind of weird. Like, he just, she asks basically a question and he's just like, let me tell you about who I am. Because that's what his love looks like towards you. And that's what it looks like for his glory to be revealed to you. You know how many times I've asked God a question and didn't get an answer, but I got him, and suddenly I was okay? Because that's what his love looks like towards you when you're suffering. So what is the answer that Jesus gives to her? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, the resurrection is probably a little bit more obvious, right? So if something's dead and then it's not so dead or it comes to life, that's called a resurrection, Please delete zombie movie imagery from your mind at this point, right? Dead and then alive, it's talking about something totally more than that. But that's what a resurrection is. So it's a little bit unsurprising when Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I think we intuitively know what that means. And I am the life is the part that made me like, like I, I had to really, even today I was still thinking like, I, I, I think this is what this means, but I'm still wrestling with this. All throughout the book of John, Jesus refers to himself as the life. It's John chapter 1. I am the light, the, the, the life of men or the light of men. John chapter 17. I have come to give you abundant life. And then here, John 11. I am life. In your life, you know what it's like if you've lived a little bit long enough, you know, like really past 12 even. It's like you know the difference between being alive and having life. Having meaning and purpose and hope and joy and and life life, like not just I'm here, I'm sustaining, I'm, 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 I'm healthy in body, but I'm not living. And what Jesus is holding out to us is something more than healing, something more than the answer to your prayer, something better than if it was dead and now it's not. He's holding out to us if it was dead and now it has purpose. Like, that is the kind of life that Jesus is holding out to, which is why he says, even if you were to die, yet you will live, because I am the life and the resurrection. And so he steps forward into the darkness of Martha's heart and shows her who he is, which is more. Yes, stronger. Yes, better. But specifically, able to take what's broken in her life and do something with it. And that is what he's holding out to you this morning. Whatever you're going through, he is both the resurrection, the one who can bring life out of that, and the life, the one who can bring purpose and meaning and hope and, and life out of it. And so with this better vision, Martha, I think in this moment, really holds out her, I have nothing left to Jesus and he just becomes the Lord of that, which is what he wants to do with you when you're broken. When you're not sure what he's doing, when you're not sure if he's still good, you can trust him because he is the resurrection and the life. It's not because he didn't love her. It's not because he didn't have a plan. 
It's not because he didn't even have the answer. He did. He just gave her something better than that. But what about Mary? All right, so that's Martha. Martha had poor vision. Suffering can do that to you. Jesus clarifies that. But what about Martha, uh, Mary? Mary does something different. There are two basic reactions when you're suffering. It will drive you to Jesus, or it will drive you anywhere else. Okay? That's it. Those are your two options. When you are in suffering, you will find yourself at the feet of Jesus, even with hard questions and bad vision, or you will find yourself anywhere else because of it. And you need to know that this is true about you and your friends, that when they're suffering, suffering will press them into a darkness that really may be more than they can bear, and it really may be more than you can too. Mary was broken, and it had pointed her away from Christ. But the good news of this story is that if you are being, finding yourself really anywhere but at the feet of Christ, you don't have to stay there with your suffering and your sorrow. That doesn't bother him that it drove you from him. In fact, I want to really show you his heart. If there's like one thing you get this morning, I want you to see this. This is the thing that was on my heart for so many of you. Mary caved inward under the loss of her brother, and Jesus comes looking for her. Not for her obedience, not for her confession. He, he sends this message to Martha, which, by the way, if you want to be a good friend, this is a good message to tell your friends who are suffering. The teacher is calling for you. So as your friend, the teacher is calling for you. Not your get up and try again. Not your do better, try harder. Not even like this message of truth. Like it's just, I see you broken and I want you, Mary. Like he didn't ask her like, hey, uh, where's, Mar where's Mary? Like I need GPS coordinates. I'm lost in a village. I've been in 95 times. Oh, and I'm the creator God of the universe. You know, like he knew where she was. He wanted her to be with him. When you are wrapped up in absolute darkness, when you are overcome by your brokenness, when something has really meaningfully wronged you, when you can't get out of bed because you're depressed, when you can't pray to God for one more time for him to heal your family or to show up or to just help you or for the love of God, help me with my kids, like wherever you're at, he is asking for you because he loves you and because he sees you and because it will glorify him for you to be with him. This is this, if you were to take this idea and flip it, it's Jesus asking for her to come to him. Mary, come to me is the same as where is Mary? So what we need to know about Jesus is that when we have nothing to give to him, it is then that he gives us himself. And how he gives himself to us is not with coldness or emotional distance or with a kind of this like righteous arrogance. It's with this incredible gentleness and this incredible with us. This is the creator of Mary and she's there weeping, and how, she, how he gives himself to her is by joining her in her weeping, 
like, are we, I was really surprised by this because in about, like, 15 minutes, everything's better. And he knows that. And still, in this broken place, because what's going on to Mary is real and meaningful, and your sorrow and your suffering and the darkness you've experienced, whether it's been brought on by you or brought on by another or just brought on by this world, it is real and it is more than you can bear. And that weeping of Christ is a confession that that's true. This really is wrong. This really isn't how it's supposed to be. And he weeps with her to confess, no, this isn't what I want. No, this isn't good. And I want you. And so I will join you in it. Even though I know in 15 minutes everything will be well. Even though he knows in 15 years everything will be well. In 1,500 years you will never think about this again. It's going to pass. It's going to be over. And yet he weeps with you as you wait for it. Because the pain is real and really too much for you. And he really loves you. And he's really giving himself to you. He's really with you. And that is really good news. This is your God who cries with his creature before he saves them. This is your king. And if you saw one thing today, man, that's enough. Like, let's, we're done. Let's go. Like, it's over. That is enough. But it's not. All I've told you is you've got a good friend. All I've told you is that you've got a comforter like you would never dream. Somebody better than you've ever met. That's all I've told you. And that is not enough. That's not where our journey ends. We still don't have a hope for something that rises up beyond resurrection and reaches life. And that's what he gives us next. Look at the story as it continues. It doesn't end there. He stands up in the middle of this weeping, in the middle of this funeral. I've been to a lot of funerals. I've yet to be where, where somebody like stands up and I'm like, give me a crowbar and a shovel. I'll fix this right now. That has never happened. And if it did, it'd be revolting. Imagine that. I'm with you. We're at a funeral. Your loved one is there, buried before you. And I start digging them up. Why is that revolting? Why do we have a legalized code to protect the dead? That's called grave robbing. It's illegal. Why? Because your sorrow is sacred. Do not touch it. It is holy. It is set apart. Leave it alone. And because it's final. What good does it do to dig up a dead person? It's absolute. And what Jesus does is stands up and looks at that tomb and says, that is holy and sacred and set apart for me. That is mine. Open it. Open my tomb. I've got really good news for you. Your suffering and your sorrow and your grief, what has happened to you and what is happening to you and what will happen to you, it is meaningful to you. It's, it's right to call that yours, but it's also not enough to call it yours. If you belong to Christ, everything belongs to him as well, including that. And he is standing up in front of this family saying, that's mine. And that's not all. He then calls Lazarus to come out. He lays sovereign claim over their suffering, and their sorrow. And then he does something good about it. He brings life. 
So what does this show us about suffering? It really is meaningful, okay? And it really is his. And it really is more than you can bear, but it's not more than he can bear. And there's something I'm going to show you about Lazarus real quick. You guys realize that Lazarus had a very important role in this whole story, right? He dies, right? One job, Lazarus, die. And this is very important for you to understand. This is what it looks like to be loved by Jesus. If he loves you, and he is a strong, wise, good king, according to this story, if he loves you, he very well may lead you to a grave. Not to look at it, but to lay in it. He very well may command your death, your suffering, your sorrow. He very well, in his goodness, in his kindness, in his greatness, for his glory, and in full control, while he weeps with you, command your suffering. But he will not leave you alone in it. And he will not forsake you in it. And he will be good in it. And so you should hold on to him. You should believe in him. Lazarus had nothing to do but die. And in his death, God used that to rise him up and bring glory to his name, to show more and more people who he was, the, the, the surpassing greatness of his worth. And I think we need to take this as both a warning and as a gentle promise, that if you're facing suffering, it does not mean he does not love you. In fact, it very well be a sign that he does. Look for him. It will blur your vision, yes, but it won't change who he is. He'll come for you in it. This is what the psalmist meant when he said, if I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is, for thousands of years, this is what it means to follow God. All right, one last thing. Then we're going to go sing and party and have a good Sunday. Up to this point, Everything I've told you about Lazarus and everything I've told you about Jesus are the same, right? Let me, let, me, let me explain. So there was a man who was loved by God who suffered. That's Jesus and his crucifixion, and that's Lazarus. God waited to respond until the man had died. People wept over his body, and he was laid in a tomb. It was sealed, and the people of God struggled with their faith, believing that God was still good. That's true of Jesus, and that's true of Lazarus. The tomb was opened up, God raised that man from the dead, and everyone rejoiced. That's true of Jesus and of Lazarus. Here's what's different. Lazarus was raised up by God and brought back out of death. Brought back into a world of suffering and sorrow. Brought back from death. And that is really good news. But it is nothing compared to what God did with Christ. With Jesus, he raised him from the dead and brought him through death. There's a, a, there's a breaking through the backside of the tomb. There's a carving open of a, of a way to get through all suffering and through all death that Jesus does for us. And in, in his resurrection, which was far better than Lazarus's, he turns around and he looks at you who are in darkness. He looks at you who are in suffering. And he opens up his arms to you and says, if your guilt and your grief could not keep you from me, there is a way for you to believe. Hold on to me now. He's from heaven calling for you now. 
reaching back down and saying, if you would believe in me, even if you died, you will live. If you will hold to me, anyone who dies will really never die. Do you believe this? So if this is true about the gospel, that in his life lived perfectly for you, and in his death on the cross in your place, what he did is took all of the guilt and all of the consequences, the eternal consequences of your sin, he took that and drank it down and joined you like he joined this family in their grief. He joined you in your guilt. He joined you in the sentence that you deserved. He met with you there, and then he broke it off of you and came up out of the grave with it in his hands and said, this is mine. Don't touch it. It doesn't belong to you anymore. It comes with me now. And then he does that same thing with your grief. If this is true, then for anything you have, you can go to him. So I want to make one final point and one final plea. I think there's a lot of people that the suffering that you're going to experience in life that you didn't cause, God, why is this happening to me? Totally got a box for this. Okay, all right, I can go to Jesus. He's going to be with me. He's going to wait with me. There's a lot of people that might not even be here this morning because they can't bear this idea. They're more like Mary in that they couldn't even come this morning. Because for them, it has very little to do with what's happened to them and more to do with what they've done to themselves. And maybe this morning you're here or you're listening and you're like, yeah, but... I don't think you understand, like, the stuff that's going on in my life, the grief and the sorrow and the death that, that's here, it's self-inflicted. This is the consequences for what I've done. You might be right. The story of Jonah that we've been exploring shows us that, yes, that can happen. When we sin, it brings death to us and others. But don't you see that Jesus is holding out this same promise to you that he is to anybody? That if it is your sinful actions that have produced sorrow and suffering in your life... It is his righteous life lived in your place that frees you from it. It's his going to the grave on your behalf to rescue you from it. And so, if this is true, I want to hold out the one thing that Jesus says to us. And then, let's go doing this. Jesus says, do you believe? We know that this is not like, does this make sense? I hope it does. If it doesn't, then we can get coffee or something. But this is a deeper belief. This is a holding to. Do you hold to this? Can you take hold of him in this? Because the teacher is looking for you. And you should go to him. Go to him with your questions. Go to him with your weeping. Go to him with your guilt and with your grief. And what you will find when you get there is someone who will look you eye to eye knowing that everything will one day be made right, knowing that he is in sovereign control of your life still, and still he will weep with you, and he will wait with you. If you do not understand what he is doing, then I want to remind you of the truth of his invincible promise to us. He is doing this for his glory. And if right now you cannot see how it could possibly turn out for any good, you are simply not at the end of the story yet. It's really good news. If it is not good yet, he is not finished yet, and he has not left you yet. Father, we come to you, and we thank you, and we confess you have been good. Even when we can't see it, even when we don't know how, you will do this for your glory.
You've not forsaken your love for us, and you've not forsaken your people. The cross is proof of that, and the resurrection is its promise. Everything will be made right in its own time. And so we set our sin, we set our suffering, we set our questions in your hands. And we confess that we have nothing left, but we have you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be Lord of what is left. That you would be king over our broken lives. We love you and we look to you. Help us to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.